Hello everyone and welcome to Drafting Archetypes. I am Sam Black and today we are going to begin our exploration of Kaldheim, starting with Green Black Elves. As a disclaimer um, slash obvious statement, I have not played any uh, Kaldheim. I've never cast any of these cards unless some of them are reprints. All of uh, what I'm saying is purely uh, my analysis from reading cards and looking over everything in the set and looking at how I expect decks to be made, what the curves look like, how cards line up against each other, um, what kinds of synergies exist. Um, but all of it's just uh, theory and fundamentals with no actual gameplay backing it. But I hope to do a good job of explaining why I think the things that I do, despite not having actually played with the cards, but uh, this is certainly a relatively low information installment of this podcast, so take everything I say with a grain of salt. Before we get into Green Black Elves, I want to take a quick moment to thank all of my patrons over at patreon.com slash draftingarchetypes. So thank you, Stephen, Byron, Michael, Arthur, Adrian, Matthew, Arne, Ray, Jack, Jonathan, Parker, Alex, Eric, Kevin, Max, Johan, Daniel, Baptiste, Tobias, Britton, Evan, and Eduardo. I appreciate the support. Uh, for anyone else who is interested in joining that list of supporters and getting access to uh, my like 17lands.com draft logs, especially as I start drafting Kaldheim, and uh, also getting show notes and uh, to vote for upcoming content and stuff, uh, check out the Patreon at patreon.com slash draftingarchetypes. And now let's get into uh, Green Black Elves. The reason I'm starting with Green Black Elves is because I haven't had an opportunity to play with the set uh, because I, it's not out digitally and the full spoiler has been known for a little over 24 hours. So I'm looking for something that I feel like I can uh, confidently and comfortably discuss without having a lot of uh, like actual reps. Whereas discussing something like snow, I would want to hold off until I see exactly how uh, attempting to like draft snowlands in this particular environment and stuff feels. Elves felt relatively comprehensible just from reading the cards. As I generally prefer to do, I want to start by talking about what gets you into Green Black Elves. And I think it's particularly important to pay attention to that with this archetype because this might end up being true of the format in general, but it's definitely true of at least this deck that uh, having a couple of really strong elf uncommons and rares, uh, those cards are gonna be able to do really, really, really heavy lifting in uh, this archetype and if you don't have them, I don't think the commons are gonna really amount to much, but it takes very few really, really strong uh, uncommon and rare builds or build arounds to really push the deck to the next level. So I wanna start by just going over like, what are the cards that you might see early in a draft that are reasons to draft this deck in particular? So at Mythic, uh, obviously there's Tiver Kel, the Planeswalker. Uh, it, you know, entirely interacts with elves. It very obviously asks you to draft elves, and it's a planeswalker, and it doesn't seem 
like a particularly horrible planeswalker, which means that it's probably something you want to first pick. And it doesn't give you any particular direction outside of like draft elves. Um, I, this is, uh, I'm sorry, it's irresponsible for me not to read the full text of any card I mentioned during previous season. So bear with me for a second. So Tivarkel is two green green for a loyalty three legendary planeswalker Tivar with elves you control have tap for black. It also has plus one, put a plus one plus one counter on up to one target elf. Untap it, it gains death touch until end of turn. Zero, create a one one elf warrior creature token. And minus six, you get an emblem with whenever you cast an elf spell, it gains haste until end of turn and you draw two cards. So the emblem in conjunction with the fact that all of your elves can tap for black uh, so whenever you play an elf you can immediately tap it for mana and you draw two cards so if you cast an elf that costs a single black it just uh, it's like a manomorphose that draws two cards like you get your mana back right away um, so th like ultimating this thing makes it really really easy to just like go off um, you're not going to like literally cast your entire deck and limited with it, but it's going to be very easy to win from there. Um, and you can also just zero it to make elves, uh, making elves, you know, that can block the planeswalker. It can also build up to do other stuff. I mean, it's it's a planeswalker, it's a really strong card. The other mythic that I think could specifically point you to elves is Haunting Voyage. This is the six mana sorcery, choose a creature type, return up to two creature cards of that type from your graveyard to the battlefield. If this spell was foretold, return all creature cards of that type from your graveyard to the battlefield instead. And this has foretell for five BB. So for seven mana, you can get all of your elves back. Unlike Tivar, I think that Haunting Voyage gives you a lot of information about prioritizing cards a little bit differently than you normally would in your elf deck. Uh, specifically, there is a common uh, Comus Faithful, which is black 2 for a 3-1 lifelink elf, I think, cleric. I'm not complete. It has to be a cleric. It's called Faithful and it has lifelink. I assume it's Faithful. Uh, and when it dies, you mill three cards. There's also Roots of Wisdom is one and a green sorcery, mill three cards, then return an elf or tivar. I think those are the only things it can return from your graveyard to your hand if you can't draw a card. Both of those cards obviously are good at filling your graveyard. You can also play Village Rites, um, which is a card you should be familiar with. Black, sack your creature, draw two cards, instant. And these are ways to just like churn through extra cards to find a bunch of elves into your graveyard. And then you can just generally play like a little bit more of a kind of like attrition type game with your elves and try to just get a full graveyard and then play this like seven mana get all your elves back win the game kind of effect uh we just can get lambs also sure yeah so i think i'm not completely sure that haunting voyage is like as high a priority um or put points you as strongly toward elves as these other cards but it does seem like a realistic like a reasonably high power level card that would give you some reason to be doing this. Um, it's going to be much better if you have some of the other high-impact elves to be finding and returning, but it would at least, like, I could see first picking that, and it would give me some reason to be looking for elves, though I still might want to find one of the other good payoffs to, like, really commit to that. Some other cards that 
uh, are going to send me in that in this direction. Elvish Warmaster. This is a really big one. This is one and a green for a two-two elf warrior. Whenever one or more other elves enter the battlefield under your control, create a one-one green elf warrior creature token. This ability triggers only once each turn. And then for seven mana, five GG. Uh, elves you control get plus two plus two, and gain death touch until end of turn. So this is just a really strong two drop. It's like the density of elves in this set is such that it's pretty easy to have all or almost all of your creatures uh, have the type elf. So it's not hard to expect this to trigger basically every turn. There are a reasonable number of payoffs for going wide with elves. Uh, and then obviously this is a payoff itself for going wide with elves uh, because of its seven mana, all your guys get big and death touch ability. If you have Elvish Warmaster, uh, I think that you're going to... Basically, some of the enablers are creature cards, and some of them are not creature cards. Uh, the two mythics that I talked about, for example, are not creature cards. Harald Unites the Elves, which I'm going to talk about in a little bit, is not a creature card. But if your really strong payoffs for reading Elves are creatures, then you're more interested in Roots of Wisdom, which I've already talked about, and... Uh, Rise the Draugr, which is uh, one in a black for raised dead or raised two creatures that share a type. If you have, and so like the fact that there are two different common raised dead effects, uh, one of which actually like digs further to find your really powerful cards, means that this archetype is really well suited to taking, to having like a few strong creatures that uh, you can cast over and over, so it's really hard for your opponent to deal with, and you can like find them consistently because of the ability to kind of dig for them um, with uh, the self-mill in, uh, at common in green and black, the two cards that I've already talked about. So like having a single Elvish Warmaster in your deck, even though it's just a 2-2 two -two for two, uh, can actually have like a pretty significant transformative effect because of how good you are at finding it and keeping it around. Also, with Elvish Warmaster in particular, a small thing to start looking for is, in general, this archetype doesn't care a lot about Snowlands, but you might want to pay attention to picking up Snowlands where you can so that you can take Sculptor of Winter, which is a 2-mana 2-2 elf that uh, can tap to untap a Snowland. And that's just a way to help you hit seven mana so you can activate your uh, Elvish Warmaster. So you're going to be like a tiny bit more interested in ramping if you have this seven mana payoff. And that's just like a little thing to look for to make it easier to do that. In general, you don't need to prioritize enabling Sculptor of Winter super highly because there are a lot of other, there are five other common two mana elves, or four others rather. There are five including that one. So it's not super important that you be able to use Sculptor of Winter, especially since uh, a lot of other people are going to be, specifically the like blue-green snow decks are going to be competing to take the Sculptor of Winter from you. But yeah, just a little little nudge you get from the Warmaster there. Um, next up, Harald Unites the Elves. This is the Saga. It's two green-black rare mill three cards. You may put an elf or Tivar card from your battle from your graveyard onto the battlefield. So this is another thing that's gonna dig for your really powerful cards. So like obviously, you know, I'd be happy to first pick this and start drafting elves, but whether or not I see any of these other premium elves and how many premium elves I see is gonna be a really big difference in how powerful this card is. The second chapter is put a plus one plus one counter on each elf you control, so really big payoff for going wide. 
And then the third chapter is whenever an elf you control attacks this turn, target creature and opponent controls gets minus one, minus one until end of turn. Um, which is just a really strong ability if you manage to like successfully play this uh, after going wide with elves. So if you have this card, you're going to really, really want to prioritize density of elves in your deck. Both, so the first ability is most likely to hit an elf, the second ability has the most creatures to put counters on, the third ability triggers the most times, which means that if this is what you start with, you might want to kind of like prioritize, like shift all of the elves in your pick order up a little bit relative to spells. So like normally I'm taking only like uh, the really like super premium elves over uh, really strong commons like Feed the Serpent and uh, which is the Vraska's Contempt where you forget to gain two life and Sir Elf's Packmate which is uh, three and a green for a three three wolf that draws a card and enters the battlefield and you can foretell it for one and a green. Those two cards are both so good that I'm generally going to take them over uh, like the best common elves but if I have uh, one of these uh, cards that specifically really really pushes my elf density like Harald Unites the Elves I might start taking the best elves over those cards some of the time. Another reason to draft elves is Skemfar Avenger this is uh, one and a black for a 3-1 elf berserker whenever another non-token elf or berserker you control dies you draw a card and lose one life. So this is going to have a lot of the same incentives as Elvish Warmaster in terms of being a super high impact cheap creature that your opponent's going to want to kill pretty often. So you're going to really want to prioritize having ways to return it from the graveyard to the battlefield to keep this effect around because it's really, really strong. Uh, so you're also going to want to prioritize like just high density of uh, elves. You're going to want to put a little less emphasis on token elves since it doesn't trigger for them. And you're going to want to uh, put a lot of emphasis on just like cheap elves that trade well. Next up, Crippling Fear. This card does not specifically point you to elves in that it's good in basically any deck. Um, this is uh, two black black sorcery. Choose a creature type. Creatures that aren't of the chosen type get minus three, minus three until end of turn. Here, obviously, if you're drafting elves, you choose elf, and now there's a pretty good chance that this kills all your opponent's creatures and doesn't kill any of yours. So that's just a really good way to like turn this into a really clean plague wind, uh, kill all your opponent's creatures and not yours for nine mana for people who aren't familiar with ancient cards. Again, you can just play this as a general like sweeper that doesn't kill changelings or whatever. If you do have a tribal deck, it's very strong in that tribal deck. So if I first pick this, elves would certainly be a deck that I'd be like inclined to push toward. But again, it's not going to lock me in the way that uh, something like Harald Unites the Elves would. Another kind of interesting one is Seralf Realm Eater. So this is not an elf and doesn't interact with elves. It is one black green for a 3-3 legendary creature wolf. Whenever a permanent and opponent controls is put into a graveyard from the battlefield, put a plus one plus one counter on Seralf Realm Eater. At the beginning of your upkeep, if Seralf has one or more plus one plus one counters on it, you may remove all of them. If you do, exile each other non-land permanent with converted mana cost less than or equal to the number of counters removed in this way. Sorry about the fact that cards in this set have a lot of text. I can't do anything about it. So this is really very aggressively not a card that has anything to do with elves 
Nothing about the play pattern of this card says that you want to be elves. The reason I list this as a reason to draft elves is that it's a fairly strong card and it is both green and black. And I really think that elves are what you want to do with like roughly all of your green and black decks. Uh, at this point, I'm going to, I suppose, now is as good a time as any. I mean, it would make more sense to finish what I'm doing before this tangent, but I'm going to throw it in now while I'm talking about this. Uh, theoretically, green and black are both colors in which snow matters in this set. For people who have not done a strict uh, number count, technically, green and blue have more commons and more cards in general that are snow and care about snow than black does. Uh, but uh, So green and blue are tied, followed by black, followed by red, followed by white. Green-black could theoretically be snow, but um, if you look at the green and black snow cards, they really don't make a lot of sense in... They, like, they don't form a cohesive deck. I, I don't know what a green-black snow deck would really look like. The reality of this set is, given the nature of uh, how few snow lands are available and the fact that you have to draft them and the fact that they could end up being any color, um, and there's a lot of mana fixing, and a lot of the mana fixing is specifically good at finding snow lands or being snow or something. I think a vast majority of snow decks are going to be multicolor, and they're going to be touching at least blue and green. They're generally be, going to be green-blue base, and then they're often going to have a like reasonably heavy black component and maybe play random cards from other colors as well. This is one of those sets where like blue-green, one of its things is fixing, and blue-green by default is usually going to want to cast cards of other colors um, while kind of doing a snow thing. So I think the snow stuff, like you can touch on some of it if you're elves. There are a few elves that want you to have snow. There are reasons to pick up snow lands and stuff. But like green, black, snow rather than elf as like an archetype is basically, I would, I'd be surprised if that's a thing. So you can play Sarlf in like, you know, one of these green, blue, splashy type decks or something. But if you're just drafting a green-black deck, it's probably going to be Elves, and Sarlf wants you to, like... It's a three-drop, so, like, that kind of says it wants you to be just, like, straight green-black, so you can cast it early, because it also really wants to be on the battlefield early. So I think this is just something that you, like, take on rate, and then, like, draft Elves, because that's what its colors do. Technically, not a super huge draw to prioritize Elves and stuff. It's just you'll usually want to, because that's where your good, good cards are. Next up, the last rare that's really going to point you toward Elves is Realmwalker. This is the Changeling, uh, two and a green for a 2-3 Changeling. When it enters the battlefield, choose a creature type, uh, and then you can look at the top card of your library whenever you want, and you can cast creature spells of the chosen type from the top of your library. Elf is the most common, like, it, this is a green card. Uh, elf is the type that is easiest to uh, have the highest density of with this card plays really, really well for what elves are doing. You can go other directions with this card. You can take it and kind of stay open and figure out what tribe you're going to be later or something. But uh, by default, I think elf is going to be the strongest thing to do with this card. The other two cards, there are uh, only two more that really make me want to draft elves, though there are a few other like strong cards if you are elves. But the two that I'm going to like take early and try to draft elves because of them are Harald King of Skemfar. This is one black green for a legendary creature elf warrior, 3-2 Menace. When Harald King of Skemfar enters the battlefield, look at the top five cards of your library. You may reveal an elf, warrior, or type card from among them, 
and put it into your hand, put the rest on the bottom of your library in a random order. So 3-2 Menace for 3 is totally respectable just by itself. And uh, it, this is like, it's actually going to be trivial to get like 7, or to get like 10 hits for this, which puts you at like around 80% to hit, I think. Uh, I think you're often going to be hitting over 80% of the time with this. And also it's, you know, it gets much, much better the more like really strong other elf uncommons and stuff you have uncommons and rares like if you have other premium hits for this thing it just gets really awesome but even when it's just finding a common or something this is a great card you know probably not as strong as like the rare elf enablers but not much weaker really strong card uh has a lot of the same incentives in terms of like if this is where you start then uh you're going to want to prioritize ways to get it back and stuff and the other one is Skemfar Shadow Sage. This is three and a black for a two five elf cleric. When it enters the battlefield, choose one. Either your opponent loses uh, X life or X is the number of uh, creatures you have, the type that you have the most, um, or you gain X life uh, where the same X. This is just a like absolutely great finisher in elves. This is uh, basically Shaman of the Pack. This is a card where I would want ways to like, uh, have it like die and come back but the problem is at two five it's kind of hard to get it to die uh very few creatures in this set have five power or five toughness and your opponent's not really going to want to kill it but maybe like you're a little bit more inclined to play village rights or something if you have this that you can cast it twice but also it's not going to be that hard to engineer a situation where the first time you're, you cast it, your opponent just dies so those are the two uncommons that I think are going to really strongly put me in elves. Some other like honorable mentions. Um, these are cards that I could see myself first picking and would probably try to draft elves if I did, but like they're not as big a draw. Return Upon the Tide. This is five mana sorcery. Return a creature card from your graveyard to the battlefield. If it's an elf, create two one one green elf warrior creature tokens and it, you can foretell it and then cast it for four mana. Obviously this is one of those ones where it's like way better the more premium elves you have which is why i'm not totally enamored with starting with it especially if you're doing some of the like go wide stuff putting three creatures onto the battlefield one of which is like a strong card that you're returning from your graveyard is definitely very strong and desirable next up binding of the old gods this is two black green saga chapter one destroy target non-land permanent opponent controls so we're off to a great start that's just super powerful this is you know uh, sorcery speed, hard removal for like anything, not not limited to creatures. Uh, and then chapter two, search your library for a forest card, put that onto the battlefield tapped, then shuffle your library. Uh, of note, the dual lands in this format, the snow lands, do have basic land types. You can find those with this. You can also just find a regular snow forest if you're looking for snow lands. And then the third chapter, creatures you control gain death touch until end of turn which is really good for alpha striking with all your tiny elves. This is kind of in the same space as Sarolf, where you don't have to be elves, but you're green-black. And so, you know, this is a great card to splash in blue-green, so I'm going to stay a little bit more flexible if I open this. But I wouldn't, I, you know, elves is a totally fine deck for me to move into from here. Uh, Bloodline Pretender. This is a three-mana artifact creature shapeshifter, 2-2 two -two changeling. As Bloodline Pretender enters the battlefield, choose a creature type. Whenever another creature of the chosen type enters the battlefield under your control, put a plus one, plus one counter on Bloodline Pretender. 
So this is another changeling that you can really draft whatever you want with this because it's colorless, but it is super, super good in elves. It just gets absolutely huge. Fits a really good spot in the curve because uh, so many of the commons are two drops. Uh, the only like three mana common elf is uh, the 3-1 lifelink. Um, and you can also immediately follow this up with the four mana common that is a 3-2 that makes a 1-1 one, one to put two counters on this for a single card the next turn. So this is just like uh, a really strong card in general, but definitely at its strongest. And I mean, there are a few there are a few tribes where it's great. Elves is one of them. So this it doesn't like super strongly point me to elves just because it's more flexible than that. But it would be a, like a totally solid starting point to move into elves from. And then also there is Skemfar Elder Hall. This is the uh, uncommon land. Enters the battlefield. Tap tap taps for green. It has two black, black, green tap sacrifice. Up to one target creature you don't control gets minus two, minus two until end of turn. Create two, one, one green elf warrior creature tokens. Activate this ability only anytime you can cast a sorcery. A land that becomes kill a uh, creature and make two elves is strong. <laughs> like, that's. Uh, if the opportunity cost to play this card is very low, and the upside does really, really help you go wide with elves. So this is a pretty strong uh, uncommon land to include. I, I'm not looking to first pick this kind of card, I think, but uh, it's a pretty like impactful, high-priority card once I'm in elves, I think. That covers most of the like uh, reasons to draft this, and then the like really big like high-priority cards once you're in there and stuff. In this set in general, uh, creatures seem relatively small. Uh, there are a lot of like three twos and two threes and three threes. Uh, the number four numbers greater four or greater are relatively rare. Uh, there are a few like two like two fours and two fives and stuff. There are a lot of five mana four fours, but like it's very hard to. Like, if your opponent has a 3-2, you're not going to play a 4-drop that stops it from attacking very often, um, assuming they're willing to just, like, attack and trade with your 4-drop, which they presumably are. I think that's very much intentional. I think this set is uh, pretty intentionally designed to encourage uh, creature combat and tricks. Uh, Boast, as a mechanic, is... A mechanic that rewards attacking, but it's very different than other mechanics that reward attacking, uh, like um, Exert. Exert rewards attacking by punishing blocking. Your cr creatures with Exert are specifically much better on offense than creatures are on defense, and that just kind of like generally pushes, oh, okay, everyone wants to play aggressive decks. But with Boast, uh, the creatures aren't any better at attacking, they just pay you for attacking with them which means that blocking them is actually really desirable. Because um, if you like have blockers, your opponent can't just like attack and trigger their boasts. They have to like trade off the creature or cast a pump spell instead of spending mana on boast or something like that. So the nature of boast is to reward both attacking and blocking, which I think actually makes it a really cool mechanic for limited. Uh, and then the fact that attacking and blocking are both rewarded uh, by like a central mechanic in this set means that pump spells are also uh, more likely to like 
find a good use and like you're generally more incentivized to play them and that uh goes even more because all the creatures have relatively similar stats uh and so it's much easier for a relatively small pump spell to uh swing from your opponent kills your creature and their creature lives to your creature kills theirs and your creature lives so i think in general pump spells in this set are going to overperform um like if you have even something as small as demonic gift which is uh one in a black instant creature gets plus two plus oh and when it dies return to the battlefield uh it's very unlike like that's going to let you attack with most of your creatures and uh whatever your opponent blocks with you'll be able to kill their blocker and then if your opponent if your creature had like a dies ability or, or an enters the battlefield ability you'll get to re-trigger that as a result i think uh that this deck so basically this deck is going to play a lot of small creatures and it's going to be pretty aggressive a lot of the um a lot of the paths i mean so like think about like the stuff that you're doing here right like uh harold king of skemfar and skemfar shadow mage are your two uncommon big draws to this deck which means they're most often some of the cards you're going to be building around uh harold's a 3-2 menace which means it's an aggressive card that your opponent is going to have to double block aggressive card that your opponent is going to have to double block is perfect for playing tricks now think about if you cast demonic gift on herald when your opponent has to double block it now you likely killed both of their blockers got to keep your creature and got to trigger it again to find another elf so if you have herald specifically demonic gift should go up your pick order considerably and then mammoth growth is going to do much the same thing except you're not going to get to trigger it again but mammoth growth is going to let you attack with you just straight up every single one of your little elves into whatever your blocker your opponent has and whatever they block you're going to kill their creature and save your creature this means that in a deck that might want to play cards like dusk wielder which is the one mana one two uh boast drain them for one jaspara sentinel which is the uh loam dryad elf so a one mana one two you can tap it in another elf uh, to get a mana of any color. Those cards are very weak, but because this deck has stuff like uh, Skimfire Shadow Mage, getting your opponent low on life and having elves in play, especially with like some of this stuff that like pumps up your entire team, um, like those things should be in there. This is kind of like uh, Zendikar, where uh, party like one mana party things just make all your other stuff better these things are doing that and we'll get to that another way that this happens with king harold's revenge in a second so I, I think these one mana elves are actually playable in this archetype um and anytime you're playing like these you know random one 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 two 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 type creatures in an aggressive deck you want to be able to keep attacking with them and tricks are going to let you like just keep attacking with your little creatures and your opponent's big creatures when you have like multiple creatures in play before they start playing blockers so tricks are going to play well in this archetype so like by default i think that your pick order is going to be uh like these super high like premium elves that i've uh, already gone over like the uh premium uncommons and rares then i think you're going to want to take feed the serpent and seraph's packmate over all the common elves most of the time depending on which payoffs you have and like what your curve looks like and stuff like that but those are like super super strong cards in your colors that you're just going to want after that you're going to want uh the best common elves which i believe are elderfang disciple which is the one one uh ravenous rat type creature burglar rat type creature um 
Guardian Gladewalker, which is a changeling iron shell beetle, so one mana, one one, put a counter on something when it enters the battlefield. As a changeling, it's an elf. Masked Vandal, which is the uh, two mana, one three changeling ETB. You can exile a creature from your graveyard to disenchant, to exile an artifact or enchantment. Uh, Comus Faithful, which is the uh, three mana, one one lifelink, or three mana, three one lifelink when it dies, mill three. And uh, Leaf Elder Mentor, which is the five mana, three two, uh, when it enters the battlefield, make a one one. And then, uh, Slightly below those are going to be the other elves that I think are slightly weaker. The two one-drops, uh, Duskwielder and Jaspara Sentinel, as well as Death Nail Berserker, which is uh, the 2-2 two -two elf, elf Berserker when it dies. If it had three power, uh, make a 2-2 two -two Zombie Berserker. And then uh, Sculptor of Winter, which is the 2-2 two -two that can untap Snowlands. And then uh, Grizzled Outrider and Carful Kennelmaster. Grizzled Outrider is the 5-mana five 5-5 five five elf. The 5-5 five five for 5 in green is an elf. Uh, and then Carful Kennelmaster, which uh, is the 5-mana not elf, something else berserker that uh, gives two creatures plus 1, plus 0, and indestructible when it enters the battlefield, which is a really good way to like keep attacking with your elves. You're only going to want so many 5-drops, which is why I think those two are lower priority than uh, the other elves that I listed above them. But I do think you're going to want some five drops, and I think either one of those is going to be pretty good in the deck. So you're going to take, like, the first elves that I listed, followed by, like, those things, plus, like, some of the other utility spells that you're going to want, like uh, Raise the Draugr and, like, Way Down, which Raise the Draugr is the double raise dead, Way Down, which is exile a creature in your graveyard to give something minus three, minus three for one black at sorcery speed. Uh, village Rites... And then the uh, the good tricks that you're going to want. So King Harold's Revenge uh, and Demonic Gift. So King Harold's Revenge, this is two and a green sorcery. Target creature gets plus X plus X for X the number of creatures you control and trample. And your opponent has to block it. Uh, this is just another great way to, like, if you're going wide and your opponent has one creature, you get to, like, kill their creature, hit them for some extra damage with trample, and then also get all your other creatures through. And I think that's going to be a play pattern that's going to come up for elves. So um, I think that card is likely going to play pretty well. You're going to want to be careful with it because like, it's only good if you have a really high creature density. So the more like other tricks and removal you end up with in a particular elf deck, the less you want it. But if you're like low on other spells, I think it's a really good spell to have a few of. And then I also want to point out uh, Snakeskin Veil. This is a really, really strong card. Uh, instant target creature gets hexproof and a plus one plus one counter this card is like more powerful i think on average than blossoming defense and blossoming defense is like a constructed power level trick but i think that it is worse than the other tricks in elves because uh so many of the elves are so small that plus one plus one usually isn't going to be enough to do what you're trying to do in combat and uh you're so good at like recurring creatures that die that you're not really looking to protect your creatures you'd rather just let your opponent use removal on your premium stuff and then get it back to like re-trigger their abilities and everything so that trick is going to be not one you're going to want to prioritize relative to the other tricks in this deck another card of note struggle for skemfar this is the hunt the week um, this has basically the same issue um, this is hunt the week except you can foretell it for a single green um, but it has the same issue where 
your creatures are not big. It's very, it's going to be hard to find spots where you can kill something and have your creature live, uh, kill something meaningful, even with the plus one, plus one counter. So uh, you're going to not really want to prioritize that very highly in most of your elf decks, uh, especially compared to how much other green decks are going to want to prioritize it. So you're unlikely to end up playing that one. All right, I think that uh, basically covers uh, what I wanted to talk about here. Um, so thank you, everyone. Uh, well, I, I suppose I, I don't need to do a full ending here because I've switched format now. The question and answer is all going to be part of the same uh, podcast. So we are going to move right in to uh, questions. Um, so uh, everyone in Twitch chat, now is your time to shine. Uh, any questions you have about uh, this archetype, anything I've been talking about, I might be able to touch on a few general things, but don't expect me to know a lot about, uh, you know, anything that would require experience playing the format. And, you know, for the most part, try to keep questions to at least, like, inform things about drafting this archetype. First question asks for a little further commentary on village rights in this archetype. Uh, village rights, I think, is... I, I, I consider it kind of a, you know, sometimes food. Um, you're going to uh, want to prioritize it significantly more the more like Elder Fang Disciples you have. That's the 1-1 uh, that makes your opponent discard a card when you play it. Uh, just a great thing to sacrifice. Um, and then like there's sort of a package where like as you get more Elder Fang Disciples, you want more village rights and then more um, uh, Raise the Draugr. So you get to like start making your opponent discard, sack them to draw cards, fill your graveyard, get them back, run it, like do it again, get kind of like a grindy thing going on here. Uh, in general, the more, uh, like, there's this whole chain where having like the a really premium high impact creature makes you want like graveyard recursion and self mill, then having some graveyard and recursion and self mill uh, makes you want like, you know, Comus Faithful's part of uh, the, like, self-mill stuff, that ends up, like, enabling way down. It also kind of, like, makes tricks potentially better, uh, especially King Harold's Revenge, because it's a, like, 3-1 lifelink creature. Um, so, you can, like, there's this whole, like, various rabbit holes that you go down where, like, oh, this card makes me want this card, which makes me want this card, which makes me want this card. Um, and, you know, sometimes a part of that will get broken by you not finding the thing that it's asking for, and then you won't bother continuing down that path, and you'll just be doing something else that you can do in the archetype instead. Um, but in general, just like the more one ones you have, the more you're interested in village rights. So the more uh, Elderleaf Mentor, which is the four mana 3 2 that makes a 1 1, uh, you can like sack that 1 1 token. The more uh, Elder Fang Disciples, uh, the more of like various uncommons that make one one tokens, the more you're going to want village rights. Uh, also, if you're playing best of three, village rights is going to be a very good sideboard card against uh, the like negative aura uh, cards that function as removal spells, uh, like bound in gold or whatever it's called, the white arrest. I think those cards are actually much better in this set than they are in a lot of sets because there is not a lot of like bouncing or flickering going on in blue or white. Um, so 
people are going to want to play those more, which means that you're more likely to end up with like a creature in play that can't do anything. And then like using village rights on it is really good. So uh, it's also just a nice card to have around in your sideboard against decks that have some of that stuff. Um, let's see. Uh, next question. Do I think the changelings are going to be contested picks? Uh, does it look like other archetypes will want, say, the green changelings? So, uh, I mean, yes, they're going to be somewhat contested, but uh, I think... So, basically, green-red seems to me to be mostly about going very big. Um, like, red has a lot of the biggest creatures in this set, and there's a good amount of ramp. So I think that, like... And there are, like, green and red ramp cards. There's, like, the red thing that's, like, a 1-3 that you can pay one and tap it and exile a creature in your graveyard to make a treasure, which is a really weird way to go about ramping, but can let you cast giants ahead of time and stuff. And there's, like, Sculptor of Winter and stuff. Um, so, uh, to the extent that, like, green-red is about doing big stuff, it might not be all that excited about a random T2 changeling. Uh, and then green-white is weird. Like, I looked at green-white and literally couldn't figure out what it was trying to do. Um, it, like, its themes, like, it has some, like, put plus one, plus one counters on things type themes, but nothing that, like, calls those out in any way or anything. Um... I really couldn't find a single meaningful build around. It was just like, have creatures, make them bigger, attack with them, I guess. Um, so, but like, yes, it's going to be looking for just like any generically good green cards. Um, and then green blue is going to really prioritize doing snow stuff. So I do think that like the elves decks are going to have a pretty easy time prioritizing the changeling things over... Uh, other archetypes. Um, so they're going to be like, you know, contested in that there's like reasonably strong green cards or whatever, but uh, they're not going to be like highly contested. Um, how much the double spelling benefit do you think could occur in green black elves? Relatively little. Um, there are like the black creatures that care about that, none of them are elves. And um, I think that like while I want to play cheap creatures, I definitely have no interest in holding them in my hand. Like, I never want to have a spot where it's like, oh, I have this one drop, but I want to wait to cast it to double spell. I want to get that out there just to attack for an extra point of damage or two, because that could be the difference. Um, and I want to be, like, powering up my King Herald's Revenge and stuff like that. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm really looking to avoid p putting the two-spell black stuff in my green-black elf deck for the most part. Um, how many creatures are in a creature-dense deck? Uh... I don't have a like hard number for that. It's not so much like target exactly that this and more um, just like when a pick is close, prioritize the creature. Um, you're still going to want a few removal spells. You're still going to want some tricks. So I would say like in the 18 to 20 range probably, but uh, that's not to be taken as like a hard number or anything. Um, how strongly do I value Horizon Seeker in this deck? Uh, so Horizon Seeker is the 3-2 human for 3 um, that when it attacks you can spend 1 and a green to search your library for land and put it in your hand um, I hope to not play Horizon Seeker in an elf deck uh, my, my pick order is as I mentioned premium other things than elves than like less important elves and tricks and I'm just hoping to not play like any not elves that aren't like 
really strong uncommons or rares or Seraph's Packmate or Carful Kennel Master. I think those are the only two non-elves that I'm excited about playing from the commons. Um, and then the following question there was, uh, does it look like, um, or it was, uh, do I expect to splash in elves with any amount of frequency? Uh, it, somewhere between no and absolutely not. There are no elves in other colors, and I'm pretty committed to like doing elf things if I'm drafting elves, because if I'm drafting elves, I have uh, presumably some of the stuff that really strongly rewards that. I'm going to leave all the fixing stuff to the green decks that are prioritizing that, which I do think a lot of other green decks will do. Um, let's see, next question. This question is, with the density of low CMC bodies and desire to get on board, is finding time to foretell tricks going to be an issue in this archetype? Uh, it's going to be an issue in that I'm not planning to do it. Like, <clears throat> I think I'm fine just casting Mammoth Growth for three mana, and the other tricks I'm interested in don't have foretell. Um, yeah, the, this is not, like, there are so few few foretell cards that I want that I'd be worried about telegraphing a mammoth growth if I did foretell it. I might do it sometimes, um, but for the most part, um, foretell is other people's business. I'm not looking to get up to much of that in elves. All right, the next question is about the gold uncommons, uh, Herald the Saga and Lands, how highly I rate each of them relative to each other, and would I take them over, feed the serpent, and serve packmate, pack one, pick one. I think the land is the weakest, and so in a lot of the color combinations, there's a pretty big power level gap between the legend and the saga, um, and in most of them, the legend is better. This one in particular, the legend is better if you're actually elves, but the saga is a more flexible card that is also super strong. So some of this is gonna come down to how much I ultimately end up liking elves, but I think that my order is gonna be Herald, Saga, Land, but uh, where Herald and Saga are both like very high priority cards to draft, and I, I don't, I doubt that there are a lot of, pack, like I, I, doubt, I doubt that those things are in a run, so I think the point is just that these are both cards that I'm pretty likely to first pick, and comparing them against each other is not gonna matter very much. Uh, and then would I take them over Feed the Serpent slash Seraph's Packmate, pack one, pick one? Uh, I will note that whether I would or not shouldn't inform very strongly whether you should. This is very much a stylistic thing, just like how much do you like to commit versus staying open. Uh, I think that like taking, I think they're in a power level where going either direction is entirely defensible. Herald's, you know, a two for one the same way that Packmate is. Uh, Harold asks you to draft a specific deck, but if you do, it like gives you selection in the card that it finds and like a slightly better rate and body. Uh, but you're fully committed to like drafting green black elves, or you have to abandon it. Whereas the packmate's going to be great in absolutely any green deck. I think early on, I slightly lean taking the premium commons pack one pick one over Harold, but like if I'm in elves at all, then I'm definitely taking those premium uncommons over the commons. But uh, I do think like pack one, pick one, it's gonna be better to stay open specifically because I think there's a reasonably high density of cards that 
push someone into elves and all the ones that push someone into elves push them really hard into elves and i don't want to be competing with elves i don't want to just like take something blinders on force elves if someone else is in it i want to be able to move off and do something else if the elves aren't flowing um and so i do think that you're going to have to abandon uh some of those other elf cards some portion of the time that someone else at the table is also in it and you can figure that out uh the next question is if you've drafted some snow cards how much does that moves snow basics up in terms of drafting priority the answer here is there are very few snow payoffs for elves like we're realistically we're looking at uh exactly the three t boreal outrider uh three two elf whenever you cast another creature spell if you spent snow as part of its colored mana it enters with a plus one plus one counter um that is pretty strong but also a lot of work to enable um and then the other one is sculptor of winter which is the thing that lets you untap a snow land both of those are just like quite a bit of work to enable and if snow like i don't want to fight for snow lands over taking other cards that would be relevant for my deck because there are so few snow payoffs i'd rather just abandon the snow payoffs and take the other cards from my deck but uh if snow is open enough that I can pick up on color snow stuff for free, then I'm gonna play some play those things and like get more advantage from them. They're like kind of playable even if they're like barely on, and I'm just like playing them as like kind of slightly lame vanilla elves though. So I, I think the answer is that drafting snow basics shouldn't really be a drafting priority, but uh, you should grab them for free over like replacement level stuff. The next question is about uh, Lachara Glade Warden, which is the 3-3 Changeling um, that you can spend two in a green and exile a creature in a graveyard to put two plus one plus one counters on uh, a creature. Um, this is a pretty strong card. Um, you do have to tap it to do that. Um, and the question is like, uh, is it as good as the other uh, premium? Like, I think the question is, how good is it? Um, and uh, I have it ranked. Uh, like, so there are a lot of uncommons that I have ranked as premium. Uh, I so I mentioned the two premium commons, and then I mentioned the lower priority commons. I didn't mention the premium uncommons. So I have a long list of uncommons that I would take over all of the like good elf commons. Um, that I think are around as good as Feed the Serpent and Serolf's Packmate. Let me quickly list those. Um, I suppose technically I should read all of them. Skemfar Elder Hall, that's the land that I've already talked about. Elven Bow, uh, that's the equipment that um, gives plus one, plus two in reach, and if you spend two mana when it enters the battlefield, it makes one, one elf token. So it's a three mana, two, three uh, reach elf that gives you that is an equipment you can move around. Um, Bloodline Pretender, uh, I already covered. Poison the Cup is the Murder with Fertel. Uh, Binding the Old Gods is the Saga. Uh, Litjar Glade Warden is the 3-3 that this question is about. Return Upon the Tide is the uh, Zombify that makes two elves. And Turgid's Shadow is the uh, instant barter in blood with Fertel. Um, all of those cards I would take over all of the commons that aren't the top two commons and roughly with the same priority as the top two commons. Uh, we have a good question about Funeral Longboat. 
Um, so, first of all, I'm not sure how much I like Funeral Longboat. Uh, I know that in Kaladesh I hated Sky Skiff, which is a two mana, two, three flying vehicle. Uh, the third power is a big deal, but at the same time, I don't feel like 3-3 three, three Vigilance is that much better than 2-3 two, uh, two, Flying. Um, and, like, in this deck, it would be like an off-tribe creature. And this deck has a really high density of 2-drops. You do have a lot of small creatures, and it is a way to, like, you know, have a 3-3 three, three for 2 that, uh, like, you can crew pretty easily. But I feel like I'm unlikely to want it most of the time because it's like cutting into my elf density but if my payoffs are such that uh i don't care about my elf density a lot for some reason i do think that it like is reasonably good if your deck has a lot of small creatures that are cheap which this deck does but i don't know this might be my bias where in general i prioritize synergy over raw power level i think more than average but funeral longboat is not a card that it that would appeal to me to put to personally to put in this deck, but I can't like swear to it being wrong wrong to play it. Alright, uh so while I was covering the last batch of questions, we got a huge raid from Jarvis U. Thank you, Jarvis. Uh to everyone new here, um I you're a little late in the process. I've been uh going over how to draft green, green black elves and I'm now taking questions. Um it's gonna be hard for you to know what to ask without having uh heard the uh, seminar portion of this uh, broadcast, but uh, that's what's going on. Uh, taking any other late questions here before we wrap this up. All right, the next question. Similar to the question about vehicles, does this deck seem like it'll want runes slash equipment, or are the creatures too small to uh, get advantage from them? So uh, those are there's an implication here that I disagree with. Um, which is, I, I do think that equipment is at its best with small creatures for the most part. I mean, it kind of depends on what sort of equipment it is. But uh, in general, anything that makes a creature better is like a bigger upgrade to a small creature than a large creature. So in general, if my deck is based on equipment, I will usually want my deck to have a lot of small creatures. That's going to be relevant once we get to like analyzing red-white, which is a deck that's very much about equipment and red has access to big creatures but i'm going to be looking to prioritize the small creatures in red to go with the equipment in that archetype um so the issue isn't that the creatures are too small to get advantage from the equipment the issue is that uh you're always limited in how many cards you play that ask you to have creatures because it's non-creatures you play that ask you to have creatures because each one of them is kind of parasitic on your creature count and uh, equipment on small creatures lets you attack one small creature at a time, uh, where like you have a small creature, you suit it up, you attack, it trades up, you put your equipment on another creature and do it again. Uh, tricks let you attack with all your creatures and then whatever your opponent blocks, you use a trick on that. So those are really different play patterns. Um, and uh, the the more your deck goes wide, the more you prefer tricks to equipment, not because 
it's bad to equip small creatures, but because it's good to be able to attack with your entire team rather than committing to which thing you're pumping before combat each turn. Um, so because this is a deck with a really low curve and cards that specifically reward you for having a large battlefield and a deck that wants you to be aggressive, in general, you're going to want your cards that are parasitic on your creature count to be in the form of tricks that happen at instant speed and let you attack with everything rather than uh, equipment that happens at sorcery speed and lets you trade off one thing at a time, um, for the most part. It depends somewhat on exactly which payoffs you have and stuff, but on average in this deck, that's the, uh, those are the incentives. Also, there just isn't a lot of like good equipment that would make any sense in this deck, so that kind of simplifies the question. Also, for the record, I think that that last point was something that um, applies very, very, very broadly and limited, and I've seen discussed very rarely. Um, so I, I think that one is a good one to like make a note of, keep in mind, and apply it to other contexts. All right, it looks like our question well has run dry. Uh, this is clocked in at uh, a remarkably normal time. So um, thank you everyone for uh, coming in. Thank you uh, raiders who stayed here. Thanks all of you who actually meant to be here. <laughs> uh, really excited to continue our dive into Kaldheim, especially as I get uh, more information in general. Uh, every week I let my patrons over at patreon.com slash drafting archetypes uh, vote for which archetype I'll be covering in the following week. Uh, this week I didn't do that because I wanted to be able, because doing this without having played, I wanted to be able to choose the uh, archetype that I had the, uh, that I felt most comfortable talking about. Next week, um, I am not going to be participating in the early access event because Wizards doesn't believe that I'm a content creator for reasons I'm not entirely sure I understand. Um, so, uh, that means I won't be able to draft until Thursday, which is the day that I record this, uh, podcast, obviously. Um, I do plan to draft as much as I can, uh, before the podcast, uh, to try to find it, but like, basically I want to talk about something that I have some experience with. I'm going to try to get some experience watching on Wednesday and playing on Thursday. Um, but, uh. I'm just going to choose whatever I feel most comfortable talking about rather than letting people vote. And then for the following week, I should have plenty of time to prepare to be able to let people vote and do things as normally. Um, so uh, that's going to be the situation for the coming weeks. Obviously, we're going to be all called home all the time on this podcast for uh, the next several weeks. Um, so... Uh, as we're getting into learning about this format, uh, welcome aboard. Please, you know, stay tuned. Uh, come back next week. And if you can't make it, uh, there will always be YouTube videos and uh, the podcast available. So um, thank you for tuning in, everyone. And uh, that's going to do it for me. Good night.